0: I believe that if you are not able to summarize your Bible study in a, in a few sentences, then you still have to work on it.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 88. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. In a few seconds, I'm going to be introducing you to RP Horvath, and the interview that he did with our own Nick Katie, But before that, let me just say the Expositors Collective Training Weekend, the preaching intensive seminar is coming to Las Vegas and it's coming soon. February 21st and 22nd are the dates. The location is Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas, and you can find more information and register at expositorscollective.com. Really looking forward to seeing some of you there. Okay, now here is our actual episode. It was recorded in 2019 in Costa Mesa, California. Nick Katie sits down with Arpi Horvath and speaks about the surprising value in preaching short sermons, value-packed, concise sermons, and then even entrusting certain application points to God the Holy Spirit, And then finally, and most significantly, preaching through grief. So I hope that this episode and all that we do helps you in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's Word. Welcome,
2: everybody. I'm here with the one and only Horvat Kavai Arpad. Or RP, we can just call you RP. Yeah, for you, our can. yeah you can. English speaking audience. Um, so RP, maybe you could tell. Now we know each other for I've known you uh, for I'm trying to think now almost 20 years. I'm um, 18 years. Um, I've known you. So I moved to Hungary as a missionary at 18, and that was when I met you. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about yourself. We're here at the CGN conference, and you are one of the speakers. So tell us a bit about yourself. Uh,
0: so I, when we met, I was, a, I was just a, um, young church planter down in, in, in Southern Hungary in Page. Uh, I just moved there, I think, uh, eight months before that, or maybe a year before that with, uh, about a dozen, uh, uh Bible college students to start a church. Um, since then I, I. Handed that church over um, several years later, and then I was involved in Bible college ministry for, uh, I don't know, 17, 18-something years. Um, Now I pastor a church in Budapest, um, uh, a smaller uh, Calvary Chapel
2: church plant, and I'm also involved in in the, the Bible college that is there. Yeah, and you you know you speak English so well. I remember the first time I met you, I wasn't sure if you um, if you were American or or Hungarian, and you surprised me by telling me that you're actually from Serbia. Yeah, that's right. But you're Hungarian. I am Hungarian. Yes, that's my mother tongue. Yeah. Now I was just thinking about you. One of the things when when uh, we've known each other for so long, I've heard you preach. I remember one time uh, we went, my wife and I went to your church in Page when you were still there. And here's what surprised me the most about that experience was that you taught and it was surprisingly short. It was shorter than I was used to. And it was really, uh, it took me aback.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: uh, then I heard you preach at a conference and you were also surprisingly short. And I have to say, I didn't mind because there was a lot of good content, but maybe I'm, I'm assuming you do that on purpose.
0: Yeah, I do that on purpose. I, um, I, I believe that if you are not able to summarize, uh, your Bible study in, in a few sentences, then you still have to work on it. Um, and if you are able to summarize it in a few verses, then, uh, sentences that is then, then, uh, you can expand it as long or as, or as short, uh, um, as you want to, but, uh, the mind can only take what the behind can suffer. So, um, uh, my limit is about 30, 35 minutes. And, and I believe that, um, that's basically, there's a reason why, uh, in a classroom it's 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I believe that, uh, there's a certain point after which people, uh, don't always pay attention and i'm not
2: that engaging as a speaker i don't know i don't know i think you i think you of course being humble here but i i think that you are quite an engaging speaker
0: well thanks for saying that but i i don't think i don't think i should go longer than uh, usually my goal is 35 to 40 minutes also um uh for the longest time uh, uh there I've been, uh, or I was, uh, uh, teaching with a translator. Um, so that adds to um, uh, to the the length of the sermon. It doesn't double it, but adds a third. So a 35, 40-minute sermon becomes 55. Sure. To I just know that minutes, I, yeah.
2: I have heard people who almost felt like they were somehow heroic for speaking for a really long amount of time. Um. Yeah, I I can't remember exactly the quote by
0: Spurgeon, but um, yeah, you'll correct me. You'll remember it. It's about, you know, a fog in a or a a haze in a in your head is a fog in the audience or something like that to that extent. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going back to my original point of if, if I can summarize it in three sentences, then 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 there is no use in in extending it to 45 50 or 60 minutes because it is just going to be a haze um in everyone's mind.
2: Yeah, I was talking to someone. So our tribe is Calvary Chapel. I know not everybody listening to the podcast um, knows about Calvary Chapel, but I know this, that in Calvary Chapel, you know, we had uh, a lot of recordings from Pastor Chuck Smith in which he teaches through the Bible. I think what a lot of people forget, though, is that those recordings are mostly from Sunday night. So he will go for 90 minutes because that was a through the Bible um, series where people he would comment on lots of uh, verses and go through the entire Bible. But on Sunday mornings, he would often preach for 25 minutes mm-hmm. sometimes. 25, 35, yeah. But, um, and they were expository preaching.
0: Exactly. So, you know, when I teach uh, a college class, it's usually nonstop for three hours with, you know, maybe like a five, 10 minute break. But so I'm I'm used to teaching along. I'm used to um being um, uh, uh, wordy and 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 expanding um, the uh, the con giving the context and expanding the the, the entire thing um, f- and uh, adding additional information, but that's not necessarily what the church needs when you are teaching a bible study. Well, that's a
2: really great point you're making is that when we preach we we need to not just be thinking about ourselves and what we want to say but what people need to hear. Exactly because um, it is what you
0: what you not say is 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 as important as what you
2: say. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the early things that I learned is that just leave room for the holy spirit. How do you make up your mind though because you know, I know that anybody who's ever prepared a message has run into this. We never tend to lack content. We actually tend to uh, maybe study more than we need to, or perhaps have more notes than we need to have. So how do you then determine what needs to be in there for your hearers and what doesn't? I, you, if, if I have just a little bit of feeling about a, a, about
0: a, passage that, um, feels redundant or, uh, in some way or shape or form, um, me imposing my ideas on, uh, on the listeners, then I usually just take a step back and just question whether, whether it should be something that is in the Bible study or not, because, um, I. I always try to avoid uh, uh, playing the Holy Spirit, um, and and so if if I sense that's that comes from my insecurity and from my background, uh, I just don't like to be told what to do. No. I, it's better if God tells me what to do than than other people. And the same way, uh, if I catch myself doing the same thing, I just stop and pull back and erase that part of the. Um, erased that part of the study. That's why I'm a horrible mo- motivational speaker. By
2: the way. <laughs> well, okay, cool. Well, I'll tell you this: uh, I clearly remember the first time I heard you preach. It was in uh, 2001 August, and I was it was in the national conference for Hungary and Calvary Chapel, and mm-hmm. I was new to Hungary, and we were at this conference, and you spoke, and you gave a message from the Book of Job. And it was a message that was very personal because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not, I don't remember how long before that, but it hadn't been very long. Uh, two months before that, my wife died. Yeah. Yeah. Your wife died in a car accident. And your message was titled, Why? Mm-hmm. And I think the fact of people knowing you and knowing that that had happened and that you still got up to speak at this conference, in fact, you taught a message which was, also very convicting, but it was very, uh, you could tell that it was very personal to you. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, just so you know, that, that was a message where I, as somebody living in Hungary and trying to learn how to preach, I remember I had an opportunity to preach and what I did to prepare, oddly enough, I, I went back and I listened to that message once or twice. And I, I didn't really know why, but I knew that this is good preaching and there's something in here that I want to emulate in whatever passage I teach. So I've been waiting 18 years, R.P. Maybe you could tell me what was the secret sauce. Well, let's get back to this question in 18 years. Maybe I'll, I'll be <laughs> able to tell you. Uh,
0: I don't know. I think um, I think it was... Uh, we, we can't overlook the fact that it was very personal, um, that I was... Uh, very passionately and emotionally involved in, in not just the topic, but the, um, but the preaching as well. Um, so, you know, the delivery was, uh, maybe, um, unusual for me. Um, uh, but, uh, I think it also, since it touched on a subject that is, uh, a very uh, relevant to um to the hungarian mindset um that added to the success of the bible study and i feel that um i don't like topical uh, studies um cuz I, I i never feel like i am comprehensive enough um maybe with that one topic i do feel like that was comprehensive i felt like he spoke
2: with a uh, unique authority because I obviously is very personal. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe, could you tell me something about this? I mean, you said it was, it was very shortly after your wife died. Yes. And how were you able to, I mean, was, was there something unique about saying, okay, I'm still going to take this invitation to speak at this conference. And I'm, in fact, I'm going to talk about this very thing.
0: Um, My determination was, um, that, um, as a person, and this is in no shape or form should be taken as, as an advice for everyone. My determination was personally to, to not let the grieving process drag on. Um, because as a pastor, uh, representing God, I felt that uh, I cannot not speak about the context of, of a tragedy in which um, everything is viewed, and not just the personal emotions, but the entire plan of God, and knowing that even the parts that are not seen are um, or still in the future add to the picture, um, that is maybe very hurtful and raw in, and, uh, impacting at the moment. So, um, I think, I think I skipped two Sundays and, um, after the, after the car accident and, and I was back preaching, um, and, and this was just, a actually this was a way of gathering my thoughts and summarizing what has been going on, and it was very useful. So I think I picked up the challenge because I felt that this is going to help me become systemized on 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 this issue. So I basically gave answers to the why question um, that were personally answers to me as well.
2: Yeah, and so you, when did how old were you when you planted the church? Oh goodness
0: me um I so it was 2000 so I
2: was 27 when 27, I moved to page so yes pretty young uh y- yeah I planted very young. I planted a church when I was 21 and I I'm assuming that we had this in common which was that as a young person until almost maybe still for me most people in my congregation are older than me. And that has always been the case in my ministry. Now being a pastor for 15 years, Um, everybody's always, the majority of people have been older than me. And what happens with that is, unlike this issue now, where you're talking about an experience you had, and you're speaking from experience of, of dealing with a tragedy, wouldn't you say that as a young preacher, a lot of times you end up speaking about things about which you maybe don't yet have personal experience Let's say raising kids, and you don't yet have kids. Yeah, but um, then I don't. You don't speak about
0: it. I don't usually speak with the degree of of personal involvement that that I do with things that I have experienced. I um, I relay the the biblical principles, mm-hmm. uh, but I also believe that every person has to find their own application. Um, And I'm just one person out of almost 10 billion, uh, who happens to apply that, that principle, um, uh, in a way and in in no way, shape or form, should that be something that, that is imposed on the church because I'm not the Holy Spirit.
2: Yeah. And I mean, we, uh, we have this in common, right? That uh, when you preach as a young person, you're oftentimes speaking about things that you don't have personal experience with. But this podcast is also going out to an audience which uh, includes a lot of young people who are aspiring to preach, maybe just cutting their teeth or maybe they're, they're uh, people who've been doing it a little while, but you know, wanting to grow. And it just seems like maybe there's some advice out there for those who are saying, what do I do when I'm not, uh, intimately knowledgeable about something, or even let's say I'm talking about a subject that I'm not even passionate about. What would Mm -hmm. you say to somebody in that case?
0: Uh, there are always fantastic stories in the Bible to illustrate what you haven't experienced yet. Um, for that, you need to know the Bible. So, uh, it's much, much more difficult than, uh, than knowing your own life. Um, also, uh, the um the experiences of 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 other people around you uh saints that you know or or saints of old about whose lives you've you've read biographies that you've um studied um so so those are always uh good good resources um i would say that um uh that I would try to avoid um, manufacturing personal experiences or personally sounding experiences because I've seen that done, uh, where were, um where maybe trivial or not so trivial, but personal uh, personal experiences were inflated and almost made made sound like like they are on par with with the principle that is discussed in the Bible. And it just is not something I personally prefer because it is, it is so much better if, if, if Jesus did it and you can illustrate it with Jesus, um, uh, instead of look at what RP did and, 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 um, what a wonderful great guy he is.
2: Yeah. That's interesting because what you're saying is therefore you are you are almost forced to, if you don't have your own experiences to draw on, almost forced to point it back on Jesus. I think that's really interesting because I always thought of it as maybe like a detriment to my hearers—the fact that I didn't have experiences to draw on—but um, maybe it's actually a benefit in some ways.
0: And so it's funny that you mentioned this because that—that's one of the the most common feedback I get from from other preachers, is that hey, I think the application part from your Bible study is missing. Um, or maybe you should speak about, um, you know, some practical examples more. Um, and, um, so many times my, even my wife, she will tell me like, I, I fell, like I read your notes and it felt like it just, you left it hanging in the air. And I, I like to send the church home with that with that lingering feeling of how does that apply to me Mm -hmm. rather than shove it down their throat, um, out of the million possible applications for, for the, for the people that are in the church, shove three of the possible applications down their throats and say, here, I pre chewed this food for you. Why don't you digest it? Uh, you don't even have to chew it yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll just gently shove it down your throat and hey, you, you can do A, B or C, and how blessed you are that I preached it for you. Mm. And I, I think it it, it comes also from, from trusting the the church that the Holy Spirit works in all of
2: us. I find that fascinating, essentially what, you know, even with the idea of talking less, like speaking for a shorter amount of time and then not providing all of the work and the application. And like you said earlier, you want people to, by the power of the spirit within them, um, make application for themselves and let the spirit guide them in how to apply these things that you presented to them. So I wanted to ask you this. Now, you, you're Hungarian, you're preaching in a Hungarian context. What might be interesting for our listeners to know about? What makes that unique? What What um, is maybe different about that?
0: Well, um, okay. Well, whew, so many things. Um how much time do we have left? <laughs> not a lot. So you have to okay. pick your favorites. Okay. So uh, every well, one of the things every basically every Hungarian revolution was defeated. Mm-hmm. We are a country that are a, a, a people that that are not victorious, um, and we don't have that sense of of uh, victorious past, victorious present, victorious anything. So. So we are always uh, um, okay. So um, I believe it was Robert Kappa, the um, the the war photographer Hungarian, who said, "You know, being a Hungarian is a state of neurosis, a collective neurosis," mm-hmm. and uh, and I believe so because we just sink into this this um, apathy. Um, you know. Um, some of the saddest songs that we have, um, we use to, um, we use them to, at weddings, the, some of the most joyful times of, of, of two people's lives. And uh, we even have a saying that Hungarians uh, are joyous by singing sad songs. And, um, and I, although that's part of our culture, I, I think that we often miss the, the joy of, um, the Lord by, by giving into the, um, the paradigms that our culture has created, which is, yeah, don't, don't be, don't be too joyous because, oh, there's going to come something that is going to ruin it any day Uh, so you're just going to be disappointed so it's better to just be sad and not be disappointed and um and so um hungarians mostly do not think too much of themselves rather they think too little of themselves Mm. and so rather than you know um thinking that you know they are the of course they are selfish but but they're um uh they have to be lifted up rather than rather than
2: warned about um,
0: being too self-centered.
2: So that's really interesting what you're saying because essentially because you understand your context, now you're able to apply the gospel to the unique um, let's say, not only, you know, we often talk about applying it to idols, but you're also talking about applying it to, areas of weakness and uh, areas in the culture where you see gaps that the gospel can easily come in and speak to and fill. And, um, and so where you're not giving like direct application of what you need to do in this particular situation, you are bringing the gospel in and applying the gospel, which, you know, that's a big part of what we do at the Expositors Collective is Christ centered preaching And always landing the plane on Jesus and applying the gospel to those areas of people's lives. But I'd like you to just say a few more words on this, like, because, okay, most of our listeners probably aren't speaking to Hungarians, Mm -hmm. but they are speaking in their own unique cultural context. And in their context, there's probably some crossover here. There's some application of this principle you're talking about, which means understanding the people you're speaking to understanding what are the things that they uniquely struggle with, that the gospel can speak to Mm -hmm. any thoughts on that. Um, It, there are culture paradigms
0: that, that um, either the society have given us or, or the church has developed um, herself and they're passed down from generation to generation. And, and, Um, and it's, it's a human need to, to understand, it's a human need to understand those and to use those because there's so much information that we cannot ourselves comprehend and, um, and make sense of every little impulse that comes our way. Um, so this is a shortcut that, that, that society has developed that our brains have developed, um, and by examining some of these things and they usually pop up when you feel like there's a conflict somehow in your life, some, some, something hurts, something is amiss. something, there is something that, that, um, is not all right. Um, then I start examining why, and what are the, what is the pattern of thought that I have applied, uh, or I can discover that is that has led me to conclusion A, B, or C, and is that right? Is that is that is that something that is biblical or not? Um, and um, it it takes a little bit of dissection, uh, and it takes a lot of talking to people who are outside of your peer group. Maybe um, I purposefully do that regularly. Um, uh, I I make it a point to to regularly meet with people who are who are of different um, sexual orientation, political orientation, uh, different denomination, uh, different ethnicity, um, just so that I I am able to to see where the where those points of, of contention are in our thinking.
2: So you can speak into bring the gospel when you, in a future situation, what's your thinking there?
0: No, my, my purpose is I'm selfish and I want to understand, uh, why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking about a gay friend or why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking about the right wing 25 year old who is, uh, who is a political activist. Um, which helps me understand then my way of thinking and seeing where the gospel can, can change that my thinking or somebody else's. Okay.
2: Last question. What is, what would you say? How long have you been pastoring now?
0: What year is this?
2: Um, <laughs> 19 years, 19 years. What What is the thing that you would want other preachers to know that you've learned over these past 19 years?
0: Um, there's a great book by D.A. Carson called exegetical fallacies. I, if I recommend everyone to read it their first year of, of, of preaching. I, I wish I was, I wish, yeah, I wish I had that book
2: when, when 19 years ago when I started yeah, that'll be a good resource for people. If people want to know more about you or connect with you online, are there ways that they can do that? Yeah. I am occasionally on Twitter, sometimes
0: on Instagram. What's your Twitter? Uh both are HKRP. H-K-A-R-P-I.
2: Okay. Awesome. God bless you, RP, and your ministry. Thank you for being on the Exposures Clicker podcast. Thank you for having me. God bless you guys. <laughs>
1: Hey, my name is Derek Nider. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas. You know, we are so privileged to be able to host Expositors Collective on February 21st and 22nd of 2020. You know, if you wanna learn how to teach the word of God, you don't wanna miss this opportunity to sit under some great teaching and learn in an interactive environment. If you're 18 to 34, let me tell you something, you don't wanna miss it. I wish that this existed when I was learning to teach the word of God. Make sure you sign up today and join us for this life-changing opportunity. Bye.